forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, Doc, welcome back to the podcast. Man, it's good to be back. I'm excited about these next couple episodes here. Yeah, me too. Just to catch everybody up with your comings and goings, you've been doing a little traveling these last couple weeks, haven't you? Yeah, we had the the NFC championship game a couple weeks ago, which was unfortunate. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's that uh, that goes back to the whole thing about getting punched in the mouth, doesn't it? I mean, it's just when you lose all your quarterbacks, it's, it's tough to recover. That was tough. And then I, my three best friends from high school were with me at the game and they're all, we, we went to high school in Philadelphia area and uh, all I, all I can hear in my sleep now is E-A-G-L-E-S, you know, fly, <laughs> eagles fly. <laughs> but, you know, I'm surviving. I have my own little PTSD in a sense from that whole experience. But yeah, and then down in Tampa for a few days, out West, I went up to Baltimore to speak at a university up there. And then went to Atlanta to speak at university. And then now I'm up in North Georgia and then out to Charlotte. So yeah, kind of moving around the map a little bit, but all good. All good. You've been continuing to do a lot of work with the golf programs at some division one schools, right? Yeah. A lot of the speaking has been for peak performance at a university sports level golf and some other sports. We really are excited about some of the teams that we have on board. I mean, we're talking, you know, top five in the nation, division one, and some of these different sports. And I mean, they get it at that level that, I mean, it's a matter of percentages, small percentages, fractions that make a difference between winning a national title and and coming in second or third. Not that there's anything wrong with second, third, but, you know, winning the title. They, people tend to remember that a little bit more. And that's, I think, underappreciated that some of the things that you're doing with precision, power, and focus really can make that marginal difference. The 5% improvement in precision, power, or focus can be the difference, like you say, between boosting the trophy or not. Yeah. In, in some of these collegiate athletes where we have literally six, 700 samples, there's some untapped visual motor development related to eye muscle movement that happens in athletes that nobody's really addressing. And when we address it, I mean, it's hard to believe, but we'll see over 150% in eye muscle synchronization and movement improvement. And that's what depth perception, peripheral field, all these important things that happen in sports need to be super strong. And people just don't understand we work out all these other muscles, but we don't do anything with the eye muscles. And it's amazing <laughs> to see what happens to these athletes when all of a sudden they can see every undulation on the green, or it looks like the pitch coming at them is in slow motion. It's not in slow motion, but the muscles are faster. So therefore, it looks like it's in slow motion. So it's, it's really fascinating. Well, we're going to talk about being grounded in your senses or through your senses to the yeah. world around you and what's going on today. In some previous episodes, we've talked about presence, being present, and you've talked at length about these what ifs and what abouts, how the sort of large frontal lobes with all of its folds that our brain have enable us to conceptualize and theorize and 
in a lot of cases, build scenarios and worry and all these kinds of different things. And that that's sort of a blessing and a curse because it allows us to put a man on the moon, but it also can paralyze us. And we want to go a little bit deeper with that conversation today and how these what ifs and what abouts and conceptualizations and scenarios can sometimes paralyze us from being able to perform at our potential. Okay. So I had an idea that I I love movies and I thought it would be really cool to use three movie scenes today as sort of jumping off points to, for our conversation as sort of illustrations and have you kind of maybe comment on those. Okay. Do you know if I know these movies or like are they some obscure French subtitle thing? Or? No, no, no. Now, I, I did start off. I am a, a, a film school, a failed film school reject. I started off in college in film school. So I've seen my share of uh, French art films with subtitles. But no, these were all major blockbuster motion oh, pictures. Okay. okay. But I am probably dating myself a little bit in that maybe some of our younger viewers haven't seen them all. But let's try and see. So the first one I want to talk about is the classic World War II movie, Saving Private Ryan. Mm, yeah. Okay? So the movie is about the invasion of France in World War II and the famous D-Day invasion on the beaches of Normandy. Mm. And in the opening scene, you see these American soldiers and they're in this landing craft, you know, this mm-hmm. kind of open boat with a little launch ramp at the front. And they're coming in through the surf approaching Omaha Beach where the Germans have these machine gun installations and whatnot up on the hill. And as they're coming, they're just minutes or moments out from when that door is going to flip open and they're going to be exposed to that German machine gun fire. And the camera pans across their faces and you see in their Mm -hmm. eyes and you can see that these young men are, some of them are obviously thinking about home, Some of them are intensely frightened about what's going to happen when that ramp opens. They're worrying about it and they're, they're lost in their thoughts. And then the ramp opens. A lot of the machine gun fire comes in, a lot of them get shot. They, they come out on the beach and then a lot of them end up hunkering down under little folds in the sand and little rocks. Now I've actually been to Omaha beach myself. Mm. And I went out and walked that. And there's these little shelves of stones. And a lot of these guys you see in the film are are laying down, trying to get some little bit of cover from the machine guns up on the top of the hill, right? And where I'm going with this is that at that moment, they are intensely worried and thinking about what happens if I come out from my little bit of cover here. But at the same time, you can't, stay where you are and your thoughts can't be elsewhere. Your mind can't be elsewhere because your body is on that beach and you need to sort of get grounded into where you are and what you're doing and you need to get moving up that beach to survive. So now I just wanted to throw that out there as maybe a little bit of an illustration about how we can get so sort of out of where we are and what we're actually doing that we become paralyzed with worry and fear and anxiety. And have you kind of comment about that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, when you see this movie, I mean, what these soldiers did was just mind boggling and what they're willing to face. I mean, we, we cannot 
even come close to explaining this or well, I want to kind of preface that we're going to we're going to talk about it but I mean we weren't there and the intensity and how they were willing to sacrifice their lives so that you and I can do this kind of stuff right and have freedom and all the things we enjoy is just you know I want to encourage our listeners out there to just stop for a second and you know thank those people that have come before us that well, a- had the courage to do it Absolutely, you know. Doc. And I just want to encourage anybody that's over in that part of the world and, yeah. you know, in the Netherlands, Belgium, you know, kind of northern France, take the time to go and see the D-Day beaches and yeah. walk up that hill and see those machine gun installations and then get to the top of the hill and see the cemetery up there. Uh, yeah. It's it's really deeply moving. Yeah. So usually when we talk about a sympathetic response, so the autonomic nervous system, you have the fast response, which is called sympathetic, and then you have the slow response, which is parasympathetic. And in performance, we can't get too far in the extremes because if we get too sympathetic, we get stuck in the anxiety and that's going to cause a fight response, a flight response, or people refer to it as a freeze response response. Ah, yeah. Yes. So, I mean, we're all used to the fight flight. There's another component of this, which is the freeze. The the, deer in the headlights. Yes. Where you know what's going on and you're kind of stuck between these extremes of do I run, do I fight? And this freeze happens. And I think that when you're talking about their is a there's definitely a sympathetic underlay for all of these people because this is this is life and death response. This isn't I'm sitting in my office worrying about my 401k, right? You know, or I hope my kid gets into Harvard kind of thing. This is really life and death. This is really where you do want the brain to start running faster and the HPA axis the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis to activate so that we can release adrenaline and get energy because it is uh, either fight, flight, you got to try to run back into, you know, this water land craft or you're going to freeze and all of those can have their negative impacts. But the question is like, what is it that drives the person in moving forward to attack or to not get just stuck there, retreat or freeze. There are moments in life where maybe the best response is to retreat. If you're stuck in an abusive, traumatic relationship, retreating is not quitting. Retreating is kind of using your senses to say, this is not healthy for me or my children or my family or this job, this dead end job that's that's just tearing me apart physically and emotionally. I need to get out of it. So there, it's not that flight or running is always a problem, but you're never kind of going to get through this situation unless you kind of move forward. And the people, even the people that are hiding behind the, the you know, mounds of sand, uh, which many of us would be, they know at some level I've got to get out of here. Like, I got to do something, right? But what moves the person forward? That's a great, great question and for us to think about. And so this is where I want to 
flip the tables a little bit on the what ifs and the what abouts. Okay. So when I'm all over a golf ball and I need to be present, I need my five senses there. I definitely got to stop the what ifs because I'm thinking, what if I go in the water? You know, what if this happens? Or the what abouts? What about happened, you know, a few holes ago? I need to be 100% right there in the moment. Um, but in a situation where there really is danger, there is danger, the frontal lobe lets us go beyond the situation and maybe use our what abouts and our what ifs as a, as a source of power. So our what ifs and what abouts can be problems to us being present in relationships and listening to people and our performance at work, but they can also create power in situations where I'm in confronted with something and I need to move forward. Okay. So I can't say what was going on through these soldiers' heads, but there were probably some scenarios about some what ifs. What if I don't deal with this situation right now? This this goes behind me and my life. We have my family, my country, my brothers, my sisters are, are going to suffer by the hands of this force that I'm fighting against to the point that my what ifs are actually strong enough to pull me through a dangerous situation uh, that's very yeah. difficult. So I can use my what if scenario to attach to a principle or a concept of freedom and liberty and justice that can override even what we would think would be our desire for life. You know, that I'm going to, yes, I see the bullets. Yes, I see the dangers, but I also see something greater than this, this moment that I need to, I'm putting this point to fight through. Okay. Now, very you few did. of us will ever be put in that situation, but these individuals were. You know, it's interesting. You say that, Doc, you know, you think about if I'm walking, if I'm taking a hike and I see a, a child drowning in the pond, I can be paralyzed. Like if I jump into the frozen pond, I might die. But the right response is to think about, yeah, but the child. And so there is a higher level of thinking that overrides my fight or flight or freeze that has me jump into the pond to rescue the child. Or, you know, I know that in your story, you at a very influential age in your life went to Africa and helped build a hospital. And, you know, we could sit in our comfortable world here and kind of fight, flight, or freeze. But when we think about the plight of people somewhere else, that's a higher order sort of what if, right? And, or what about? And that overrides maybe our self-preservation instinct. Absolutely. And if, so we have the what ifs, like the principles that we, that maybe go beyond our own life, right? Which is hard to think about. And I think we might even be losing that as a culture is that we can get so individualized and so focused on my needs that we miss the, the bigger principles that really drive us and make us more complete people for like fighting for our family, fighting for justice, fighting for freedom. Those are, those are important things. And then also sometimes it's the what abouts, right? So 
what about 9-11, right? I'm going to go and fight, right? Because of something that happened that I need to be a part of keeping this from happening, but that memory of that event and what happened to people I know in our country and those kind of things, that what about, that past can push us forward through things that don't make a lot of sense, but because of us trying to deal with an unfinished what about, sometimes we have to let those what abouts go. I get that. But there are situations that that drive us through. And so for some of these individuals, these soldiers, you know, on Omaha Beach that day, there might have been some whatabouts. You know, there may have been a brother that died or somebody in a concentration camp or, you know, something that that is pushing them through that event. And again, we're very few of us will have these like life and death situations, but usually what I would say gets somebody through that moment where they're able to use that as a catalyst to be stronger is also the power of the what ifs and what abouts. And then they have to combine that with being present in the moment so that they can access all of their senses. So it's just like step into the what if, then come back to the present, use my senses, to be able to shoot accurately, to be in the zone, and to be able to fight efficiently. But I'm using my toes into the future, dipping them in there, or my toes into the past as a catalyst or a energy to bring me back to, I've got to perform at this one moment in time because there's people relying on me to do this in this moment. Right. So... What I hear you saying is that there's this sort of lower order of what ifs or what abouts that are all about self-preservation, right? That's kind of what's hardwired into us. But then we, because we are rational beings, are capable of this higher level, higher order thinking. And we can access that higher order thinking to become motivated and make decisions. But then at that point, we have to come out of that and get on the beach and do something, right? And it's like, okay... I'm going to move forward to help save my fellow soldiers. I'm going to move forward to get up that hill. And so now I have to be completely present here on this beach, in this gravel, that pay attention to what I'm doing because my high order thinking has been sorted out. I know what I need to do. And now I need to sort of get back to planet Earth and do it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that brings me to the second movie that I, I want to throw out at you. So let's get away from the war and talk about sports. Okay. So okay. this is a this is a classic. Now it's a little bit of an older film, so some of our younger uh, listeners probably don't remember it. But you can find it on Netflix or whatever, or Amazon Prime, and you need to find this great sports movie. It's called Hoosiers. Oh yeah, <laughs> Gene Hackman, right? And so now this is a true story of the 1954 Indiana State basketball tournament. Okay, high school basketball tournament, and. The the deal is, is there's this small town out in the middle of nowhere in Indiana, you know, a little farm town. And their team, their high school basketball team that year is just fantastically good, right? And, you know, won't get into all the ins and outs, but they make it to the state basketball tournament. And so Gene Hackman is the coach and he takes the boys to Indianapolis where this thing's going to be held. And they've never been to the big city before. They've never been out of their small town. Yeah. 
And yeah. they, they go to the big city and the day before the game, they go into the arena where it's going to be played. Mm-hmm. And the, the scene is really well shot, right? There's this gargantuan arena, you know, the lights, the ceilings way up there, the seats, right? It's just massive. And they're completely overwhelmed and intimidated. Like, we can't play in this. And then in this really great scene, Gene Hackman pulls out of his pocket a tape measure. And he tells the boys, measure the distance from the hoop to the floor. And measure the distance from the hoop to the free throw line, right? And they do it and he goes, and he says, gentlemen, I think you'll find that those are the exact dimensions of our court back in the gymnasium at home. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I thought that's such a great scene because he grounds them. They're so intimidated by the size and the space and the situation, but he grounds them in the reality. It's 10 feet to that hoop. The free throw line is exactly the same distance. And, you know, you've been able to play in the gymnasium back home and there's no reason you can't play here. Be grounded in the court. Don't think about all that other stuff. So I want to throw that at you as something where we have to kind of come to our senses, be grounded by reality. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about come to our senses. And I I threw this out at Greg a few days ago because I was watching this guy speak. And um, he just in the middle of something, he says, you know, you got to come to your senses. And we've all heard that phrase, right? And it's always, you know, I've heard it. It's passed by, boom, boom, boom. But it was that moment in time because we've been talking so much about the what ifs and the what abouts and being present. I'm like, isn't that an interesting statement? Come to your senses, right? Like we've said that to people when they're just, the wheels are coming off and they're shaking, right? And it's just, we say it so, you know, fast. We don't even really think about, well, what am I asking this person to do in this statement? And that's what we need to do to be present, right? It's like, we need to come back to our senses. Everybody listening right now, I want to encourage you right now, Come back to your senses for a second. So think of this as either inward or outward, right? Like how much of me is like outward away from my senses right now? And how much of me is inward and aware of my senses? Like, what are you smelling? What are you feeling on your skin? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you taste? I mean, when's the last time we just sat down for like, you gave ourselves a minute to reverse the direction of come back to your senses, right? And in this movie, that's what he, he's trying to force. The guys are all looking out, like the, the camera pans and you just see the, the enormousness of this facility, this arena. And they're doing that is they're looking outward. Like, how do I conquer this? Well, you conquer this one step at a time, just like you do anything else. And the first step is this floor, this court isn't any different. And it's so funny that you put this in here because um, I don't know if I had like this in my unconscious and I used this with an athlete or what, but I had a quarterback that I've worked with for a number of years and early in his career, you know, he'd come out of college and you're p- playing in the NFL and the noise and the environment and the intensity of the NFL 
we would talk about this like, man, this is so intense, right? And all build up all week long. Yes, college sports is like that, but there's so many games going on, so many conferences, you know, it's no, it's nowhere near what's happened in the NFL. And I remember one day before I was kind of preparing for our, our weekly meeting, I said, the football field is the exact same size as this guy played in middle school, right? So I calculated the square yardage of the football field and it's 6,396, right? And so this became the number that we all we would talk about. Like, I think for that almost half of that season, it was 6,396, 6,396. I want you to write that on the back of your hand, 6,396. And we would talk about 6,396 because it's the same size, right? Now, maybe uh, somewhere in my mind, the Hoosers thing came in. I don't know. I thought it was brilliant yeah. at the point. But now that you bring up Hoosers, I probably robbed it from Hoosers. But. <laughs> well, but you think about that, right? Like, so the goalposts are the same width on the yes. practice field. But that field goal kicker, man, those goalposts look really small when it's the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Think, think about golf course architecture, since we've been talking a lot about golf lately, right? So, you know, the way to just mess somebody up, stick a pond in front of them. You know, if right, you if exactly. you sit there on a par three and you say, this is a short par three, it's a 150 yard par three, right? And I'm sitting on the tee box. If I go to the driving range and the flag is sitting out there at 150 yards, I can take my eight iron, seven iron or whatever all day long and just hit at that flag, right? I mean, I might not get super close, but I make it 10, 20, you know, 30 feet away, right? You want to mess me up? Stick a pond between me and there. Yeah. Now, and, and, right, there's doesn't make any difference. The, the what difference just should the pond make? But your golf course architect knows that now you're gonna you're gonna you know it's interesting what you do when that happens is you speed up. You know, mm -hmm. when we talk about sympathetic. If you put a pond in some front of somebody, what happens is they their their takeaway is a little quicker, their transition's a little quicker, and they 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 speed up, which causes mistakes. Yeah, they probably fight. Or freeze, right? You know, they, they slow the whole, they go too slow or too fast. Something happens and they're sympathetic, but I'm kind of, were you at my golf outing a few weeks ago? Are you, is that where you're speaking to the, the fact that I had a 120 yard shot and there was water in front of me? <laughs> I know. Me? I wish I had been you know? there. I would have loved and, to put that on YouTube. Yeah. Like, come on, you should be able to hit this doc. You do this all day long. And for some reason, my shot goes like 20 yards into the water. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're kind of, somehow you know what happened a couple of weeks ago. We were recording yes. with Tracy Hansen the other day yes. for another episode. And like, I, I've gotten to play a lot of golf with Tracy. And here's somebody who's played, you know, in the, the U.S. Open. And she's the nicest person in the world. But all you can think of when you're on the tee box is, please, Lord, don't let me hop the steam <laughs> <Yes>. shot. <laughs> you know, because I, I just, she won't make me feel bad, but I'll feel terrible. You know, so. Yeah. No, but that, that whole thing, like you're talking about is like, if we come back to our senses and can push the what ifs and the what abouts and see the reality of the situation, right? Nobody's asking you to process Friday's work when it's Monday. Okay. Nobody's asking you to completely put together your whole portfolio for when you're 68 when you're 33, right? But we do that to ourselves 
maybe sometimes because there's a little bit of kick in the adrenaline that happens and we get a little bit addicted to kind of that dopamine response or whatever. And, and so now we check our, you know, our bank accounts, you know, four times a day. Well, guess what? Your bank account didn't change. You know, yes, the stocks went up and down a little bit, but are you really going to hang your ability to be present on whether the stock market went up or down today? I hope not because that's not as important as your relationships. And so recentering with all I can be responsible for is like where my feet are right now. And what is the reality of where my feet are, right? Is it, is it upside down? Probably not. It's still the same size court, right? It's something I've been preparing for doing my whole life. Um, I should be able to do it fine, you know, or get up and speak about it if I need to or whatever that's going to be. Okay, so you're on the free throw line, you're on the tee box, you're the kicker and you're lined up for the field goal and you've made your alignments, you've set yourself up, picked your target. And then at a certain point, you just have to let go and let it happen, right? Yeah. And you have to stop overthinking, which brings me to the third movie. Now, this movie is actually older than the other two, but I think that everybody on the planet has seen it. And that's Star Wars, the original Star Wars, right? So in the original Star Wars, at the climax of the film, there's the Death Star. And Luke Skywalker is in his X-Wing fighter, and he's flying down this trench, right? And they're shooting at him, and Darth Vader's coming behind him in an enemy fighter. And Luke Skywalker has to put this proton torpedo or something into this little <laughs> exhaust port in the Death Star yeah. to blow it up, right? And they've taken multiple tries at it and they keep bouncing off the rim of this thing and they're down to like the last torpedo, the last chance, right? And so Luke has this little targeting computer thing that comes in front of them and he's watching the targeting computer and it's lining up to tell him when to take the shot. And at that moment, Obi-Wan's ghost yeah. shows up and says, turn off the targeting computer, right? You got to trust the force, trust your feelings, let it happen, take the shot. I know that you wouldn't say to trust the force, right? <laughs> but there is a moment at which you, you can't overthink this anymore. You need to be able to take the shot. You need to be able to trust finding that zone or something and then let it happen. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think it's, uh, if you borrow back from the Hoosiers movie, I'm going to borrow from two movies here. I remember at the end, the guy says, give me the ball. Like, I'm going to make this thing. Like, He's ready. He's not overthinking it. None of the situation of the moment is getting in the way of all the time that he's prepared. So the, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So if we've been preparing for these moments, we don't want to let the situation and the intensity of the situation or the distraction of the situation make us get distracted from what we're going to do, right? And in the Hoosiers movie, the guy takes on the challenge and does it. The other thing I was thinking about was the new Top Gun movie where the guy has to, it's interesting, he has to hit that target. This is very Star Wars. So when, when I saw the new Maverick Top Gun movie, as I was watching, I'm like, this is a complete ripoff of Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah. So he has to fly yeah. down the trench. <laughs> yeah, He's going to zigzag down the trench while these uh, anti-aircraft things shoot him and enemy fighters pursue him. And then he has to flip up and fire the torpedo into the exhaust port at the exact moment. And he says, you know, you can't think, you just have to feel, 
And I'm like, yes. they're just ripping off Star Wars, but it was yeah. still great. <laughs> and they probably made more money. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. But... It was <laughs> well, because I did go to film school. It's called homage. It's called homage to the great <laughs> film. So, That's but funny. yeah, but right. There is that moment yeah. when, you know, we've all been there even, you know, in our Thursday night golf league or whatever, or bowling league or softball league or whatever it is that you do when you can't just stand there and think about it anymore. And you have yeah. to let go and execute. And I know you've worked with so many world-class athletes over the years that find that zone, that moment where they just let go and it happens. Can, can you can you unpack that yes. a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, one is, I mean, the things that make us kind of drop our jaw in sports and be like, what the heck? Like that pass is going out of bounds. There is no way that that is going to get caught and he's going to get two feet down. That is going to be impossible, right? but yet the person does. And so there is a certain level in this that if the missile is too large to fit in the vent or whatever it is, well, that's, that's just futile. That's not going to happen. But when we do these precision things that are capable of being done, but it does require us to be completely in the moment, that's when it rocks the world. And we're like, wow, look what I just did, right? So there does have to be some reality to it. Can this be accomplished? Can the pass be caught? Can the missile go down the chute? But in order to make that happen, we have to be all there and we have to think about how we're kind of wired. And we've talked about this a ton about the difference between the conscious and the unconscious. Okay, so my conscious can trick me. It can get um, distracted by the moment, right? But my unconscious, which is comprising 90 to 95% of what's going on and maybe even more in my body, is quite remarkable, right? Like keeping my body temperature at 98.6 is probably more amazing than Luke dropping the missile down the vent. Like if we really stop and think how I convert food and some things that we might not even consider food <laughs> into into energy that I'm doing unconsciously. I'm completely immobile at night, but yet my respiratory is state is perfect. My cardiovascular state is perfect. I'm forming memories. Like this stuff is crazy that's going on. I mean, just just stop and think about how amazing you are as a person. And there we have this special force inside of us, which is this unconscious that's doing all these amazing things that if we can lean into it and kind of, we talk about in sports, get out of the way, get my head out of the way. That's really what you're talking about. What Obi-Wan is saying to Luke is get out of the way of yourself. Let yourself do what it's been trained to do. And with that does come the will to prepare to win. You know, like I can say all day, I want to drop that, you know, missile down that chute. But if I haven't been out practicing in my X fighter, well, that's silly. So you have to be preparing to win. You have to be prepared to deliver in that board meeting. You know, you got to be prepared to deliver in the sales call. You got to be prepared in that relationship when it hits a conflict that you know how to ride through it by good communication skills. But in those moments when you are prepared, 
you lean into that unconscious by coming to your senses and letting this powerful, powerful thing that you have inside of you take over and drive the situation. Because it's doing that already. It's already doing amazing things every second of the day that we're not thinking about. We just need to leverage those things. Well, yeah. And not only at that moment do you do these amazing things, for the people watching, it looks, you make it look easy. My wife and I were talking about that the other day because we're watching something on TV and we go, that person makes that look easy. And it's not easy. <laughs> I don't think it's even necessarily easy for that person. But because like you say, they've spent so many years, I mean, they brought talent and they've spent so many years preparing and practicing that in that moment, as you say, they sort of let go, get out of their own way and it flows. And that right. sort of flow state, that zone, you let it happen. Uh, becomes a very powerful moment for those that have prepared, have the talent, and they let it happen. So bringing this back to our listeners to sort of summarize, on the one hand, they can't get paralyzed, that, that flight, fight, or freeze, but they can access that higher order thinking that gives you priorities and helps you make decisions. And then after that, you have to act. So you need to be able to then make your decision. I'm going to do this thing. And now I'm going to ground myself in where I am and what I'm doing, make my alignments, pick my targets. And then I'm going to, what? Get out of my own way. Let yeah. it happen. And that's that flow state. And when we can do that in our lives, whether we're in the Super Bowl or, you know, we're at our Thursday night bowling league or whatever it is in our own lives becomes really, really powerful and it allows us to what perform at our potential. Yeah. It's like we've talked about many times is most of us have no idea what our true ceiling is. We're such amazing creatures that if we can tap into that, um, there are things that we can accomplish that go beyond anything we can ever imagine. I mean, I had something very significant in my life happened four years ago that literally rocked my world, our family's world. And I would have said, man, there's no way to come back from that, right? And here it is four years later, and this is kind of the best time of our life right now. I just, it's just amazing. There's always hope. There's always hope. And who we are as people are amazing creatures if we can leverage that. Well, Doc, we're going to come back in the future, I'm sure, and explore that sort of flow state or zone or what that is, because that's a pretty powerful thing. But we're also going to talk a little bit more about what happens when these kinds of flight, flight or freeze things become sort of chronic in us yeah. and they trip into like a clinical anxiety level. And that's going to be our next episode. But before we do... Last word, Doc, some takeaways for our listeners that they can apply just this week in their lives. Yeah, I think do the exercise that we talked about earlier in the podcast. Lean into your five senses. Take two minutes, breathe, take that oxygen in and go through your five senses and just ask yourself, what am I experiencing in those moments in time? Okay. And get in the practice of doing that every day and try to bring yourself inward versus outward and kind of run this model in your mind. Like think of these bi-directional arrow, arrows and which direction 
am I going and how often am I sending the information back inside to my, with my senses? Well, thanks for joining us, Doc. And we're going to stop the recorder here for a moment. And then we're going to talk more about when these kinds of what ifs and what abouts become chronic, they become clinical anxiety. And that'll be next week's episode. So for all of our listeners, tune in to hear that. And in the meantime, go to forgeinnerarmor.com where you can learn more about Dr. Royer and his work with both ordinary people and elite athletes and everybody in between and find the ways that we can all perform at our potential. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com. <laughs>